This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 65. Today's episode is all about the inner work for inner peace. The trigger itself is not the problem, right? So once when we think the trigger and the discomfort of the trigger is the issue, that's where we create a blockage for ourselves because it's actually the opposite. The trigger, how we view it, is, is an invitation to expand and to heal. We think we're free by deciding to cut people out, but we're really just obedient and subservient to our triggers. We get irritated and agitated, and then we autopilot react And we are subservient to that rather than being a free being, which is that we have the power to pause, become curious, ask questions, slow down in our reaction and choose from a conscious place that isn't triggered. And that's a demonstration of our freedom. If you want to experience lasting positive change, you have to do the work. If you want to find happiness, You know, the kind that isn't dependent on how much money you have or what your partner said to you at breakfast or the weird text from that guy on Hinge. You have to do the work. And anyone who's done the work themselves will tell you that. I heard it a lot in the beginning of my self-development journey. The problem is, what the fluff is the work? When I first started going down the road of spirituality, I was just focused on the destination. I felt like I needed to fix myself. I had no idea how long it was going to take. I just knew that I was not there yet. Reading other people's inspiring stories was helpful, but it also just made me realize how much work I really had to do. I remember one day I was at this weekend workshop with Paul Selig. If you don't know him, he is an amazing spiritual channeler with, I think, eight best-selling books so far. He's also been on the podcast like three different times, so go back and check those episodes. Well, he did this mini reading for me and basically told me it's not about what I'm doing, it's about what I'm being. At the time, I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I don't even know what that sentence means. Is that proper grammar? But I figured it out, eventually, sort of. Well, I'm on my way. You see, the problem is, when we get so caught up in the person we want to be or the goals we want to accomplish or how far we still have to go, it's actually really easy to fall into a mindset of lack. Yes, it's good to get a vision of where you want to go, but you should be spending most of your time zooming back into the now. I like the visual of setting a GPS. If you're driving across the country, yes, you do need to know your destination address or the general vicinity, but your main focus is on your next left turn, not the directions on your third day of driving. And guess what? That elusive work that everyone talks about is done in the now. It's how you're choosing to be in this moment, not tomorrow or next week or next year, now. So welcome. You are in the now. So now that we're here, what do we do? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guests are Matt and Ash. They are best known as the yoga couple to their over 500,000 plus online community. While this influential couple is internationally recognized for their holistic healing work, authentic yoga teachings, and as the creators of the inner work method. 
So three key things we will learn are what the goal of the inner work is, how your partner can help you reveal your soul's work, and the themes of consciousness we must work through and ascend. But before we get started, I want to invite you to wake up to the morning mind love. Every weekday morning, you get a little inspiration to set your tone for the day. It's kind of like a gentle reminder of what work you can focus on today in a way that makes you feel really, really good. Plus, when you sign up, you get two free gifts, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you grow. And it's all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. And now let's welcome Matt and Ash, aka The Yoga Couple, to the show. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So let's get your story first. What inspired you guys to start focusing on the inner work? Oh, that's an awesome question. We we actually, we wrote a whole book about inner work called The Inner Work, An Invitation to True Freedom and Lasting Happiness. And I think that the majority of the inspiration for the work came from our own personal relationship and us navigating like, what is it really like to be in a committed relationship where we don't run away from our problems, right? Like so much of um, the mainstream media and the movies display relationships to be this really like beautiful, epic, romantic thing where your partner is really responsible for keeping you happy and excited about life. When the reality of the situation is that we were finding that all of our unhealed trauma and like inner child fears were surfacing in the relationship. And for us, you know, we're the yoga couple and yoga is like the primary foundation of our practice. But what does that look like when it comes to navigating relationships and becoming our, you know, most peaceful selves? Like, what does that look like? And the inner work journey is really just, it's our own personal testimony and kind of exploration with figuring that out as, as two people individually and as a couple. So when you think of this idea of inner work, it very much seems like this thing about the self, but you're so right how relationships tend to highlight the inner work that we need to do with ourselves (laughs) even more so than, you know, living by ourselves for a long time. I I lived by myself for a while. And when I got married was (laughs) all of a sudden, I'm like, I didn't even know I had these habits or I didn't even know this was an issue when I was by myself. What do you think it is about relationship that highlights some of our own personal shadows? So our whole take on this is that no one's going to hold up the mirror for us uh, to see parts of ourselves that we are literally like unable to see. So there's this interesting thing using that example that you were just saying, when we're single and when we're we're by ourselves, our mind, our ego mind is actually capable of blocking out and having what we call paradigm blindness. Uh, So it can block out weaknesses that it doesn't want to see. It can hide from us parts of ourselves that we refer to as, maybe you've heard it referred to as like the shadow. It's literally aspects of ourselves that, consciously, we don't see because it's subconscious. We don't realize that we do that. We don't realize that we act that way or we think that way or we have that certain energy. And then all of a sudden you have this person who's with you constantly and and they start to notice all those things and they bring it to our attention. They say, hey, just so you know, like a really good example is we often have things with our parents where we're like, I I never want to be like that. So like 
let's say I grew up in like a really judgmental household. I'm like, wow, I'm never going to be like my parents to be judgmental. I just want to be so like easygoing and chill with everybody and loving. And then my wife comes along and goes, well, just so you know, you're just like your mom and you're actually really judgmental. I'm like, no, me, no way. And, and what happens is the conscious mind can block out and can control how we want to view ourselves. So the conscious mind says, let's just use this example. Um, no, I'm not a judgmental person. I'm really easygoing. I'm not a... All right. So the conscious mind can keep this ego like identity alive and, and, it, and it will tell itself, you know, it will tell us over and over again, like, oh man, I'm so chill. I'm so chill. And then the partner just kind of shatters that by saying, you know, that's really not what's what's going on. Like yeah. just because we consciously want to think and feel about ourselves a certain way, all the subconscious stuff that we we don't want to see, the partner really obviously experiences. So in this like inner work dynamic within your relationship, we call it the yoga of relationship. And I'm sure we'll, mm-hmm. we'll dive into the connection between yoga and inner work where your partner becomes your, your greatest mirror. We see mm-hmm. them as our guru and as our teacher because they are revealing to us these aspects of ourselves that we would normally project on the other people, right? Like in less intimate situations, we have this out with our coworkers or maybe family members that we're not living with and sharing life with where we could say, oh, it's just them. It's just them. It's just them. Whereas when we're in a consistent relationship and we have a consistent person holding up the mirror to us, uh, we're not able to get away with that so easily. And we have to turn that gaze within and say, well, what part am I playing? What is this simulating and bringing up for me? What does this trigger say about me? And so our greatest opportunity to do this inner work, which is essentially like a process of getting free by going right into it, right into the root of it, that happens within our relationship. You were telling the story about judgmental family and not wanting to be judgmental. And I was like, are you inside my head? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've gone that exact thing. And it's so funny because that's one thing that I, I really said to myself, I do not want to be judgmental. And now <laughs> it's become very apparent to me that my soul came here to work on judgment. So <laughs> it's just not, not so easy. And, and a lot of the messages I heard as a child or seeing judgment played out sort of became my inner voice and it became how I interacted with the world. But you're right. I didn't see that until I had another constant mirror here because it's so easy to never be triggered. If you're like by yourself in a cave for your whole life, like what's going to trigger you? Exactly. <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden you're being triggered and you assume the triggers are other people or you need to, I feel like the first step in my journey believed that I needed to avoid the triggers, you know, like, oh, I need to cut that person out of my life. And yes, some of those people I did need to cut out of my life. But in other times, it's like I am letting triggers dictate my world. It's it's closing me in to rather than allowing myself to unravel them or to work on them. So what is your relationship with triggers? How do you view them? And then how do you work with them? Yeah. First, I just want to say that was a huge thing we talked about. I love that you brought that up of this topic of getting away from triggers and getting away from the discomfort. And that in the beginning, you nailed it. Like in the beginning of the journey, we think, oh, the goal is to just surround myself by good vibes and, and basically eliminate all discomforts. And we we speak to that all the time because it is a common thing that we, when we start out on this this journey, and especially like the self-love journey, right? We think, oh, I need to like just surround myself with everything that makes me feel so happy and good. And what we find is it exactly like you said, it, it creates these blockages. So the blockage is the trigger itself 
is not the problem, right? So once when we think the trigger and the discomfort of the trigger is the issue, that's where we create a blockage for ourselves because it's actually the opposite. The trigger, how we view it is, is an invitation to expand and to heal. So literally, not only should we not be cutting them out and running from it, but we literally should be going into it. Mm. So our view of the trigger is the complete opposite where we say, no, 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 you guys stop running from discomfort. The yogic path teaches like you need to sit in the discomfort and learn from it. You need to, you need to extract the wisdom from it because our view of the trigger is it's basically like the consciousness Let's look at this, you know, and it's like opening the door to examine something. Yeah, we like to say, lean into your discomforts, like become curious about your resistances Mm -hmm. because it's the pathway to your freedom. Like getting free of that discomfort isn't eliminating it. It's sitting with it, asking questions about it and getting to know your trigger more intimately and building kind of like a friendship with it, like learning about this part of you that normally you just appease. And it's like, we're obedient to the, our triggers. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. we don't have free, we think we're free by deciding to cut people out, but we're really just obedient and subservient to our triggers. So we, we get irritated and agitated and then we autopilot react and we are subservient to that rather than being a free being, which is that we have the power to pause, become curious, ask questions, slow down in our reaction and choose from a conscious place that isn't triggered. And that's a demonstration of our freedom. I have thought about this before. And I wonder, we've both experienced that state of cutting out the triggers or thinking we needed to just cush ourselves. And I'm wondering for people that are earlier in the journey and they're hearing this, is this something, is that a step to avoid altogether? Or is it a necessary step? Or is it a, the natural process of evolution and working with the triggers? And I've thought about this because I can use a different thing. It's, it's, if you use something like an eating disorder or a drug addiction, cutting out the triggers is a necessary first step. But then at that point, it's like, I can't always avoid that one granola bar that tended to send me down a bulimia spiral. You know what I mean? (laughs) But in the Mm -hmm. beginning, it was, it was helpful to avoid because it helped me clean my slate and feel my own body and feel what it's like to be in that space versus the constant turmoil that I was in. Does that apply to all triggers? Was, is that an individual thing? What are your thoughts on that? I think our favorite answer is always, it depends. Yeah, we love this question. Uh, I tell the story often, but one of my yoga teachers would be in these like, you know, 12 hour yoga teacher training days and people would have all these questions for her. And she's like sitting at the front of the room, like some guru, you know, and people would ask her questions and every answer was just, it depends. It depends because when you look at the human journey and our consciousness, we're all at different stages in our journey. So one person's poison is another person's medicine. And one person's medicine is another person's poison. And something that we outline in the inner work book and that we're so, we feel so strongly about is that it's true. It depends where you are because we are all at a different stage in our journey. So even things like anger and what we call blame is judgment is a healthy chapter in someone's journey until it's not. So what ends up being unhealthy is when we get stuck in a permanent, um, like static theme, we call them themes of consciousness. So when you think about like water, uh, the most dangerous thing with water is when it's not moving, it becomes stagnant and it becomes, you know, toxic and creates all kinds of things grow in it. Right. And fester. And we are energetic beings. So for us to, Um, not getting so stuck and permanent in a theme of consciousness or in a strategy such as cutting out our triggers, something to be aware of because yes, it may be healthy 
for now until it's not anymore. And that's such a vague answer, but we actually outlined the themes of consciousness in the inner work book so that you can kind of identify where you are and what your next step might be, depending on what your coping mechanisms are, what your thoughts are at this stage in the journey. The things that you might be saying as an autopilot response are really revealing of the vibration and frequency that you're currently in and what your next step in the journey might be, which would be really different from somebody else. Like you're saying, who might be fully like really healed from like bulimia, as you were mentioning, staying away from triggers, isn't the next step in their journey. Their next step in the journey is being comfortable around their triggers. Right. So it totally depends where we are at the journey. I appreciate the vague answer because I feel like in the beginning of attempting to heal, I was looking for those straightforward, like, just tell me what to do. And then I'd find the people that would tell me what to do. And then I'd be like, this didn't work at all. And I just felt like I was being thrown everywhere. And what I found was it wasn't necessarily that I was getting bad advice. It's that I was getting more advice to not learn to tune into my inner wisdom, to not learn to ask myself what I need and that possibly a unique solution would come up from there. And so I remember though, trying to tune into that inner voice and having shut it off for so many years, I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what I was looking for when something would come through. And when I do that practice now compared to in the beginning, it's a completely different experience because most of the thoughts in my mind were my programming. And so when I think of something, it would be that voice that I thought was a friend that was actually secretly sabotaging me. <laughs> and so when you're sitting in that discomfort, what does it look like for you? And how do you coach people to find that inner voice of their own? Let's take a good, like a, an example to work with. So even just early this morning, I had uh, a wave of anxiety come up about something. So let's just say there's anxiety. This is a really common thing that we struggle with as humans all the time. You know, and a lot of people, it can become obviously a full-blown disorder to where it's like just always happening, but all of us can relate to anxiety from time to time. So, so let's say the anxiety trigger comes up and that wave of discomfort is arising. In that moment, we, we have an opportunity to become a witness first and foremost. So the process of how we discover the truth is first, we have to not get lost. So the first thing is to just observe, holy heck, I am completely overwhelmed. Wow, there's so much coming up. My chest is tight. My palms are sweaty or I'm, I'm spinning out in my head. Observe all that. Become aware of it instead of be, being sucked into it. So we always say, like when we're, we're teaching someone this, it's like, instead of becoming it, be aware of it. So instead of becoming the anxiety, be aware of the anxiety. So that's the first thing is just to be like, wow, so much anxiety is arising right now versus saying I am anxious. So that's the first hugest step because if we can't even separate ourselves from it, there is nothing to do. We literally can't move forward because until we are able to see ourselves as separate from whatever is arising, it, we think we are it. And so we can't do anything with that. It's, it's too overwhelming. So instead, first and foremost, we have to separate from it. And then you can finally start to now be like, okay, well, this is interesting. So I am separate from this feeling. This feeling is just arising, but that's not actually who I am. So now, oh, now the door is open for, well, then what is my truth if this is just an experience I'm having? And then this is where we start to uncover the next stage of it is we say, well, interesting, this anxiety is really intense. What is it saying? What's its story? And what we're looking for here is like, what's the root program? What is the narrative that this is using to, to freak me out? 
And is it even true? And so first is maybe the anxiety is like, usually anxiety, it comes from the theme of consciousness of fear. And so it's usually always in a nutshell, it's like, what if negative happens, like insert whatever the negative thing happens. Essentially, every framework of anxiety is some sort of future that is negative. And then we're freaking out because of that. And then the mind can do that, like give you a hundred things all at once to really exaggerate it, you know? So, all right, we see that. We see that the, the story that is feeding this feeling and this negative, like, oh, overwhelm anxiety is what if ABC happens and you are screwed, you die, you lose money, you this, you that, whatever the fear is. And then we say, okay, well, is that true? And is there another possibility? And this is where we finally open the door to discovering truth. You see how many layers we are removed from it now. We've observed it. We've watched it. We've identified that it's totally just one story. And now we finally can actually start to listen to our own voice, which is to say, well, hey, that's just one way things could go. There are infinite other things that could happen. So with this anxiety thing, the easiest transition is to go to the next theme of consciousness, which is desire. And that's to say, well, what if it goes right? What if none of that happens? What if all of this is just in your head? What if you're going to be okay? What if things are going to turn out like better for you? And that's where we finally go, well, wait, yeah, that would feel better. I guess I would feel better. Interesting. Do I have a choice? And this is that moment where we find our truth, which is our truth is what we are ready to determine and accept for ourselves. So my truth is, do I want to accept this anxiety? Do I want to stay in this? Or is my truth that I want to believe and move forward that things can get better and I can believe in a different reality? This is where we start to expose ourselves to the idea that we actually have free choice. We actually have free will to determine how are we going to come out of this moment? Are we going to get sucked into it and repeat it and then revalidate the program? Or are we going to do something radically different and, and try to respond in a new way? I love everything that you said. And as you were, I was listening to you, it reminded me of, you know, sometimes it can feel really overwhelming of when we're trying to figure out what to do because we think we have to do something and like we're, we're, we're overwhelmed. I'm like, I can't do anything. I can't fix this. I can't deal with all of this right now. And I don't know what to do. And it takes so much effort, but this whole inner work experience and like the whole process of yoga, we say is like a letting go process and unbecoming. You don't have to do anything. You just have to let go of everything you're attached to. So if you have this very negative fear or this, you know, super intense, like experience that you're navigating, the only thing to do is to just, can you just invite the experience of letting go of your fixation on it? Can you just let go a little bit of your grip on it? Can you just let go? And in that letting go process, when you're removed from it, like Matt's saying, you can, you can start to discover these alternate routes, but we can't even see them when we're so fixated and one-pointed focus on this one way of thinking. So the first step is just, can you just let it, let go a little bit? So much of what you both shared too involves allowing the space to let our mind wander or to allow our inner voice to come through. We need to actually have the space to do that. And I think so often we're reaching to Google the answer, like, how do I fix my life? It's like, Google can't tell you that, <laughs> you know, like sit there and figure out what specifically is coming up for you. When you ask yourself questions, what does come up? 
can you tell the difference between your programming and your inner voice? Is this voice coming from a place of fear or from a place of expectation that comes from something outside of yourself versus that true voice inside of you? And so if you don't hear that true voice, you don't know what that experience is like, stillness or being able to sit in that discomfort like you talked about enough times and trusting that eventually that voice will become louder and louder as you unravel those two things. But you guys have brought up themes of consciousness that I'm excited to explore. So when you say themes of consciousness, what what are those? What does that look like? The themes of consciousness that the we'll kind of look at it in multiple layers. So the most important thing to grasp is that it's it's the determining factor of everything about our lives in that it determines how we think, it determines how we feel, it determines our perspectives, our value systems, our belief systems. Our, our view of ourself, our view of God, divinity, in uh, the world and at large. So any, anything in life is always coming from a theme of consciousness. So first and foremost, every aspect, we can look at anything and we, it has a theme of consciousness. Yeah, like another word for that is like vibration yeah, or exactly. frequency or pattern. It's like that overall mm-hmm. essence, like that feeling, right? It has mm-hmm. like, you, you can just intuit like, oh, this environment has this like specific heavy vibe, you know, and the people that are here are also emulating that vibe. It's like, it's like everyone's like the, the past the vibe check. It's like totally that. Right. So a really good analogy that we can all really easily relate to is think of a radio station. When you turn on a radio station, first of all, that's all just frequency and vibration that you can't see, right? It's invisible. So that's a theme of consciousness. So the theme of consciousness is a station. Now, when you're on like, say, classic rock station, you don't expect a rap song or a classical music song to come on. You expect classical rock. So when we're in a theme of consciousness, all the thoughts and feelings, perspectives, values, and things like that, those are the songs. So if you are on anger, theme of consciousness, anger, right? All the thoughts you're going to hear are going to be that theme. They're going to be all about opposition. People are in your way. You're being violated. Someone's wronging you. You need to get pissed off about it, right? And and then likewise, let's say we go into like shame, rejection, theme of consciousness. Spotify, play shame and rejection radio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's basically how it works in our own heads. Exactly. So we attune ourselves to a certain theme or a certain station. Mm -hmm. And then that station dictates how we view the world in the same way that when you turn a a station on, say, Spotify, you're expecting a certain type of vibe and certain type of song every single day you turn that station on, you expect to get the same thing. You can kind of see it in your head. It's like we're all standing in a coffee shop and every single one of us is tuned into a different theme of consciousness or vibration. We're all sharing that environment and we're all having this experience of the environment. But if we were able like a movie to voyeur into that person's like experience of that reality and hear their thoughts Mm -hmm. and kind of like what's going on in their inner world, it would be a completely different vantage point in story. Like one person would be so stressed out. The other person would be like in bliss and like, yeah, we're all just standing next to each other, having this completely different experience. And that's happening all of the time. And so The cool thing about it is, is that once we realize that we have the choice to change our station, we have this power to change everything about our lives. But most of us don't realize that we even have this opportunity because we think that 
the station we're experiencing is not internal, but in fact, a direct correlation to our external environment. We think that we feel this way because of everything that's happening outside of us. You know, there's traffic. This person said this, I lost this money. That's why I'm feeling this way. When actually somebody else turned into a totally different station could be having that same external experience. And yet it could be like angelic realm playing inside their inner world. Why is that? And that is because it's actually an internal thing that we have the choice to change the dial on no matter what's happening external. But that's a scary thing Matt always says, because that means that uh, with that realization, it's really liberating. Like, yay, we can change the station, but it's also like, wait a second. That means I have the responsibility of doing that and that I don't get to keep blaming everything outside of myself, which is a little bit of a scary pivot for us to accept and think about. Yeah. Or saying the other, the other common one, the external thing is fantastic. The other, the other thing we see a lot that the the ego will do is it'll say, this is just who I am. So this is just who I am. I can't change that. That's not. And again, we say that the ego says that because it's incapable of taking accountability. So it that's its nature. It's just how it works. It's not going to say, oh, wow, this is up to me to change. That That's our soul. That's the consciousness. That comes from a higher plane. The, the human ego is only capable of, of evolving to pride. It can't it can't take accountability. Only our, our consciousness can do that. Only our soul can do that. I was thinking about like a Christmas morning where maybe all the kids got the same presents and one of them is like stoked about it. The other kids like just thinking about the one gift they yes. didn't get. The dad's thinking about how they're going to pay off all the credit card debt and the mom's thinking about <laughs> the mess in the living room. You know, it's like completely different yes. experiences with one experience. And when I'm in those lower states though, when there are moments when I'm like, no, I just can't change this. Or I, I can hear that voice of this is who I am. It comes so few and it doesn't happen very often anymore because I've trained myself over and over again to be like, no, that's a victim mentality. Is that, that's not empowering. Because I think in, in one in one state, we do think it's empowering. We're like, no, I'm owning who I am. And I'm like, that's the part mm. you want to own. You know, you haven't even, uh, you haven't even de-layered, like peel back that onion. You know what I mean? But when you have explained these themes of consciousness in your book, you talk about the difference between a 3D reality, a 4D and 5D. Where do those come into play? 3D is the themes it's from shame to pride. And so these are all very, they're all very animal oriented. And if we want, we could go yeah, was, through them real quick. Yeah. I was going to say like, it's in the yoga tradition. We talk about this a lot is that there's like these different stages of human evolution. And there's like the stage where we identify ourselves as the animal, as the body, as like our, uh, autopilot reactions to getting our basic needs being met. Right like food, shelter, like safety, like competition, like all of these things. And yeah, we can totally go through all the different themes that are in that. And then there's this next stage of evolution, which kind of moves us into, instead of identifying with like our physical body, we start, it's kind of like the hierarchy of needs, you know, we start to identify with the self as mind, as like our thoughts, as even so much as our, our feelings and our emotions. And we start to move into this different plane of consciousness that's less tangible. And then that st third stage of evolution that we move into, like the yogis say, it's like when we become, instead of just like animal humans, we become angel humans. And that's when we like identify ourselves as eternal, as a soul, as a spirit. And so as you're moving through these 3D, 4D, 5D, uh, it's levels of, joy and levels of ignorance from the truth. So in like 3D, we're so cut off 
from the truth of our potential. It's like, we're just accepting the bare minimum of what life experience can be. You know, we're just seeing it for the very physical physicality of earth, you know, the struggle of earth. And then as we move into like 4D, we start to see the human potential. Like what could a human being be capable of in this lifetime? You know, like what kind of inventions and progress can we make as a society? But then as we move into 5D, it's not just this lifetime, it's eternal. What is our eternal mission and our eternal journey and our soul as, you know, if you believe in many lives or an afterlife, it's it's beyond this life. And it's identifying not just with your own self as this incarnation, but as your total journey maybe, and maybe even identifying as one with all of life and all of creation and all of, you know, humanity and not seeing yourself as separate from it anymore. And that's like that reunification with our divinity. It's another, another way to word it is it's levels of how we identify ourselves. So 3D identifies itself as, hi, I'm Matt. I'm a, I'm a human body. Like it's, I'm the animal, I'm the body. And then when, when we're in that mode, we make decisions based on um, emotion and impulse or instinct. So every, all decisions get made in those in, in the 3D reality. It's like reactionary. Very, very, very animalistic. Like, like I have an impulse, I act on it. You you dangle a carrot in front of me, I chase it. Like it's very impulsive, reactive. And easily manipulated. And easily, easily manipulated because of that. Because like the same way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like in the same way you ring a bell and the dog like starts salivating and comes. Like it's very Pavlonian in that stage because we are actually in animal consciousness. So we're no real different from them other than the fact that obviously we're more capable, but as far as like the emotional impulsive reactiveness, it's the exact same. So when we finally get into 4D though, the mind is able to interject and say, oh, actually I'm my ability to think and and independently think so much independently though, that you can try to emotionally manipulate me and I won't react. That's where the inner work journey really takes place too, because we start to kind of, we're not subservient to those reactions anymore we realize there's another option. Yeah. We start to actually analyze it because, because the mind, the intellect becomes the source of salvation. So we identify with the intellect as what's going to help our life improve. And I love this way of thinking of it is it's basically how we make decisions. So 4D makes decisions based on what's the most intelligent thing. Say, okay. So 3D was, what do I want? <laughs> I guess we could say the decision-making is what do I want? What's my impulse telling me? 4D says, well, what's the wisest thing to do? And now we get into 5D where we we identify with what's the most loving thing to do? What's the best for everybody thing to do? What's like the highest potential of my soul thing to do? So we make decisions from this highest level of our awareness of what is in, in the greatest good of myself <laughs> and others. By the way, me and Matt totally geek out on this. And it, I don't know, like maybe this is something we need to look at but like we'll be like watching movies or like doing stuff and we'll be like that was such a four that character is so 4d and like oh that character is like they're in 5d and like oh that's such a 3d thing for them to say and we're like <laughs> we're always awareness of like what paradigm like the characters are coming from and stuff and it's really fun to like observe and, and but not <laughs> not in a judgmental, judgmental way, way just not like in a, a like way, in a more fascinating in like a fascinating way. like studying human behavior kind of thing. And we're like, wow, like when you look at the behavior on a pattern basis, it's so interesting. Like the paradigm that they continue to come from in a patterned way is so like 4D or so 3D. It is is very, very fascinating because 
literally every single human behavior is a theme of consciousness in a pattern. So I think like with what Ash is pointing out, what we trip out on, what she's getting at is it is kind of mind blowing because it feels like you are cracking the matrix because you can literally see see why people think the way they think, why they are the way they are, how they feel the way they feel. You can predict all of it because the, the, the patterns are predictable once you understand it. And when I work with people in my counseling, that's the number one thing I'm always trying to get them to see first is I can predict everything their mind's going to say. And they're always like, that's exactly what it sounds like. And I'm like, yeah, man, because it's a pattern. It's not unique. It's not special. It's not like your ego. So our ego wants to think, no, I'm the only one who thinks this. I'm the only one who, and I'm, you're an exception. I'm the only one going through I'm the only this. one going I'm through this. I'm an exception. It's too complicated for anyone to understand because yeah, I'm beautiful. the only one. I know exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Beautiful. That's a great one. Exactly. So that's all that thing we talked about earlier of this is how it holds itself in the pattern of no, 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 no. This is me. me. It's not up for change. And so my first thing I always try to point out is like, it's actually all predictable. And that can be really relieving because you can go, oh, wow. So I'm just stuck in a vibration. I'm just in a pattern that I can change. That's interesting because until we see the pattern, it's really hard to, to think that you could be any different. But once you realize like, oh, it's just a radio station. It's not unique. I'm not stuck on this station. I can't change it. It is really liberating, but it, it takes a lot of courage to, to look at that. Yeah, I look at the, fi- the 3D as like, that's what I think of when I think of that matrix trance, you know, where do you know yes. why you want that thing? Do you know why you want to be skinnier? Do you know why you want to buy that brand? It's the programming. It's its when we're just watching the things and hearing the messages and we're not really able to step out and see it for what it is. And then I think the 4D is what a lot of people that I know are in. I find myself oscillating between all three, honestly. And I And the more work I do, the more I'm in those higher levels. But I still have my animalistic moments where I'm like, ah, pride. <laughs> or like, ah, the ego is just, that's what this is. And a lot of times it's when my basic needs aren't met, like I'm hungry or tired or, <laughs> you know, exactly. those types of things. But we see online a lot, if you're in the spiritual community, which I'm assuming a lot of the listeners of this show are, I definitely am. You can be scrolling through Instagram and suddenly you see some graphic with all these colors that say, we're moving to the 5D, just just hold out hope, you know? <laughs> so I'm curious, what is your uh, interpretation of that? How do, you, how do you view that when people are talking about the collective consciousness of us all? In the same way that all of us are in our own personal hero's journey, we, we obviously as a collective too, as a species are a theme of consciousness. So as a collective, we are definitely evolving. I don't know if we're going to go to 5D as a species, but uh, that's going to take a while. But <laughs> what, what we are doing is what, what I think they're referring to is just that, yes, evolution is continuing. <laughs> to, be, to be most honest, it's like we, we technically always are going to be evolving and growing. And, and who knows, maybe when we get to 5D, that'll open up a whole new reality. There'll be even more. I think it's important to just know that it's infinite because we're eternal and infinite beings. We can't even grasp it. So it's just, it's healthier for us to just stay humble and be like, honestly, we're just always going to be evolving. And there's always going to be infinite below, infinite above and everywhere in between. And I think what they're just, you know, acknowledging is just, I think those, those are great. They're reminding everybody like, Hey, more and more of us are moving that direction. More of us are being drawn to that. But the the cute thing is like, Hey, just so you know, that's always been that way. 
it's, it's always been that way. It's just that we have information and we have social media to, to let each other know. But since the beginning of time, there's always been humans that have been pulling themselves higher into the higher themes and seeking that out because it's, as the yogis would say, it's like, that's just the collective karma where there's always been enlightened souls coming to this earth and then helping teach people and lead them higher and more and more. And, you know, we go through stages of society where say like the dark ages, where it kind of gets suppressed for a little bit, but now with the internet, yeah, it's true. We're having this massive, beautiful resurgence of information, which is exposing people to higher themes. And they're like, Whoa, you mean I could, I could do that. Like this podcast right now, thanks to the gift of technology, we can share higher themes with this discussion and, and show people like, Whoa, this is trippy. I can try, I'll try that. Whereas in the past, yeah, it would have been a lot harder, I think, to access this information, especially because they used to keep it secret and they used to, you know, only share it with themselves. I do think too, like as a little caveat, that's just something to have awareness about is that sometimes we can get really like pulled into these melodramas of like, like you were talking about the spiritual community and stuff and like this ascension thing and all these things. And sometimes too, like that's just an extension of our distraction externally. And we can just, yeah, we can participate and have fun as a collective and all of these things. But when it becomes so distracting that we're not doing our inner work or having our personal practice because we're so focused on the collective, it's just a flip side of the other coin of being so checked into the matrix that you're watching the news every day and you're so into politics and you're you're so into the melodrama of society on the 3D level. It's the same thing, the other side of the coin. It's like, what we all are here to do is actually have this individual personal journey of inner work and self-discovery and it's all inside. Mm. And it's totally beautiful to share in that journey and have the reflection of others. But it is a good thing to pay attention to is like we can have that spiritual egotism come up even though we've, we're not participating in the 3D matrix anymore. Well, now we're just in this other world but still having the same behavior. So yeah, we could be in this spiritual world, but are we having the same behavior, checking the news, checking everybody's social media accounts, like keeping track of everything that's going on. It's the same thing just now in a different community. So this, I mean, just not everybody might be doing this, but it, but I can get totally drawn in like from time to time. Like I totally do. And I'm like, Whoa, hold on. Like for like the last week, I've been like way too externally checked in and not checked in so much to my inner world. And that's just something to keep checking in with I think one of the biggest things that came up as Ash was explaining that is uh, just be mindful of ever placing like salvation placing. Yes, yes. So, so the ego is always looking for a way to get out of its work. And I think as Ash was explaining that, I was like, ah, oh, yes. So what, what all we're basically saying is just so you know, your ego will always find some heaven to project onto. So thinking, oh, when everybody's 5D, then my problems will go away. It's the same. I love the how human just, residence is going to change yeah, us this, all, or, or the, the, sun, the solar flares of the sun are going to do it. And it's like, it. dude, there's no way out of doing your inner work. Just do it. Like, sit in your discomfort and do it. There's no just time sit or your, place. Sit down and deal with your stuff. Yeah, like there's no time uh, or place. So I would just say, you know, being being aware of, wow, am I am I just creating another place where all my problems will go away? And we just have to be, it's the same as the, the other cliche that all the spiritual people are running from is when I get more money or if I get, yeah, if I had more possessions, right. We all see that one, but this, but the spiritual community has to be aware of like, are we just doing that same thing in a different form? Right. I actually was following somebody who seemed to be venting about 
people not wanting to do the inner work because they were holding the collective consciousness down. And I was sitting there like, how is this any better than saying I will only be safe once everybody gets the same medical procedure I did? It is no better. Like, so really tune in. And if you are basing your own sense of peace or freedom on everybody around you, then you're likely doing it wrong. Like that, that just comes from inside yourself. And I get that there's so much going on. So I think even there's plenty of people that thought they might've been beyond this and, and what we're going through collectively is pulling them back in regardless of what your viewpoint is. You know, it's, it seems to be pulling everybody with whatever that thing is inside of them that they are worried about. And all of our worries are slightly different. And so I'm curious how, as a couple, how do you guys keep each other accountable or, on the growth path? How do you help each other, assist in each other's inner work without putting pressure or expectations on each other that make it worse? We have pretty fierce expectations. I don't know if we've quite figured that one out. Um, (laughs) Still navigating that. I think, well, I think we're like an interesting case study to ask that for because our agreement in our relationship is to hold each other to the fire. So I think first and foremost, just as a caveat is it depends on the, (laughs) it depends. It depends on the type of relationship you're in. So with Ash and I, that question is very different because we're so aggressive with each other. Like if anything is not peaceful, we're like, okay, what's up? Let's go. Okay, like, let me just switch the words. Hold on. We're so <laughs> aggressive with each other. Meaning like we really- You're we not see peaceful. Our- <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like-, like We see our inner work journey. Like we're really committed to this yoga yeah, relationship, right? Let's I mean. say like two people are in like a certain type of religion or whatever. Mm-hmm. They have this foundation mm-hmm. for it and they've made these commitments that these are their standards and their values, right? For us, that is the yoga of relationship. We are on a spiritual journey together. We have a shared value system and it's kind of like the rules of the game for life for us and for the rules of the game of a relationship. Or like, let's say you're going to go start a business. What do you guys do? You, you, you do an operating agreement. You're like, all right, this is how we're going to handle arguments. This is how we're going to make financial decisions. And you have like these rules of like the game for being in business. Well, like we have that literally like in our relationship. Um, we're not like so staunch about it that we're like sign here on the line, mother effort. Just kidding. <laughs> but it's 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 like this, right? Like we we have these like rules that are spoken and unspoken about being in this yoga of relationships. So not everybody is in that mm-hmm. agreement where everything for us is ripe for inner work. It's yeah. like, okay, let's look at this. Let's talk about this. Somebody else could be like too much. I yeah, don't need to just discuss every trigger that comes up in my life. Just let me walk away. And I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that might be their dynamic and that's fine. And that's healthy for, for them. For us, we're like, no, we will always talk about it. Like literally everything we will always talk about it, mm-hmm. but that's not for everybody. Right. Like, yeah. So when I counsel couples, the first thing with to dovetail off what Ash is saying is like, it depends on the value system of the relationship. So if, if we've highly value inner work, then it's always our top priority. So aggressive was the wrong word for it. All I mean, is just like I mean, super on point true, but. and, and just like really like hungry for it and ambitious for it. Cause it's our top life priority. So on the flip side though, if your relationship values are just like, go with the flow, have a good life, like, you know, just find peace and contentment and just be chill. You don't want to necessarily, you're not self-development hungry, then that would, this actually would seem really stressful to you. And we've actually, I've worked with plenty of couples where the person's like, whoa, dude, I don't, I don't need all that. That's like too much. 
And, and they're like, hey, man, I just want to have a good time. I don't want to have my traumas, but I don't necessarily want to do that. And so that's where you have to really determine the relationship's values. And from your values, it's the easiest way to create uh, from that, what's our vision? What's our expectations? Because once you know your value system, you like, let's take the topic of money. If your value system is a certain income, then that's going to obviously determine the level of expectation you place on yourself and a certain lifestyle you're going to have to therefore adjust to and create. But if your partner's income level expectation or value system is like, let's say their value isn't even money at all. Their values like quality time or, or um, having kids. There's a good one. So for them, they, they're measuring the relationship health off of that. They're like, well, we don't have any kids yet. And the, the other person's like, yeah, but our finances are incredible. And the person's like, well, I'm unfulfilled because this is my value system and I want to have a family. And the other person's like, well, my value system's the money and I feel great about this. So those, that's a great classic example. And for us, like if we're not both doing inner work, we feel that unfulfillment in our relationship. Yeah, exactly. But what do you do if you don't have this other person that's like, yes, I want to keep looking at my stuff and do this inner work journey together. It's like you have this ultimatum decision as an individual doing the inner work. Now that's your inner work. One is you need to have this conversation with your partner and ask like, do you want to be on this healing journey? Do you want to see your triggers as opportunities for self-reflection? Like, is that even in your paradigm? Do you want to do this to me? I want to do this. I want to heal. I want to look at things in a more like, like 5D, right? Like uh, everything is here for my spiritual growth. I want to see everything as on purpose, not there's nothing that's not happening. That's going to reveal something about us, right? We get irritated. That's something we, for us to look at. The person might say yes, they might say no. If they say no, like I'm not interested in doing that. I've been, this is the who I am. I just want to live a good life with you and that's too much for me. It's past my boundary point. Then if you feel like that's an unfulfilling relationship with you, for you as the person wanting this spiritual companionship, then you need to decide like am I going to stay in this relationship and let go of that? And not project onto my partner anymore that they should be someone they're not. They or, should be doing something they're not. Or just know you're going to do it yourself. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, mm -hmm. you like do it. You're going to do it yourself. It's going to be your own journey, and you're going to let them be and yeah. love them as they are, which is your own inner work, maybe, right? Or you're going to say this is like totally not. This is a like kind of a violation of myself. Like I'm self-sacrificing, and it's a non-negotiable. And actually, the healthiest thing for us both to do is not to be together because I'm going to keep feeling it, you know, projecting onto you, and that's not fair to you. So it's like it's always it depends. It always depends on what your value system is, and if like like we said, like this is not a high value for everybody, you know. But but if it is, it's important to to decide. Yeah, I resonate with all that. And I knew what you meant. I use the word aggressive and things that maybe the word <laughs> aggressive shouldn't be. I, I usually say aggro. I'm like, God, it's so aggro. But <laughs> anyways, yeah, I, I totally feel that where uh, I know people who have left relationships, uh, even marriages, because they didn't even realize that's what they wanted until they they got there. And maybe the first part of that relationship was I'm going to work on me and I'm going to love you as who you are, but ultimately led to them feeling still unfulfilled. And that's okay as well. And I think as we get better at tuning into our inner voice, we'll understand maybe that that relationship wasn't a mistake. That was the stepping stone towards the next thing, towards who you become to find that spiritual partnership or whatever it is that you're looking for. But takes the work to even figure that part of it out. You know, exactly. don't just yes. up and leave your relationship because you 
that can be another way of avoiding the inner work because you're trying to change your external circumstances. I used to move every single time that I was unfulfilled. And so Mm. now I look back and I'm like, oh, no wonder I have so many surface level friendships all over the world, (laughs) you know, or like they're just not deep. And other people will have those friendships where they lived in the same town for their whole life. And so when I was doing my last move, I waited a while because I wanted to do the inner work first to make sure it was coming from a place of my highest fulfillment. So thank Mm. you guys so much for bringing so much light to this and, and helping us understand how you guys work in partnership for your own evolution. So for listeners that are really resonating with this and wanting to learn more and connect with the both of you, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Well, you can definitely go get the inner work book because it will just totally help pull this all together and make it something real and practical for you. So the inner work is available on Amazon. If you just look up the inner work in books, it will probably be the first one. And then we're online as the yoga couples. You can find us on TikTok. We're like really regular TikTokers now. So TikTok, the yoga couple, Instagram, the yoga couple and the yoga couple.com. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash x65. So I'm not going to give you all the work for your challenge today. Instead, I want you to just bring a little more self-awareness in your life and a little longer pause. And what I mean by that is that there's so often that we're just reacting or acting on autopilot. More often this week, I'd like you to take a pause. I'd like you to think about the thing you're going to say or the thing you're going to do next or the activity you're engaging in right now, which might be scrolling or shopping or doing one of the many things that might not be lighting up your soul. Just bring self-awareness and ask yourself, is this what I should be doing? Is this what I should be saying? What does my higher self think? This is a really good practice to get into, asking yourself questions and waiting for the answer. And most of all, trusting that you have the answer inside of you already. This does take practice, but I promise you, the more that you actually tune in to listen and then act when you do receive guidance, the more you will feel guided. And that in itself is a huge part of the work. See, I think we already know what we need to do. No matter how many courses we take or books we read or podcasts we listen to, there's still a part of us that knows what we need to do. Now, we spend so much time drowning out that voice or muting that voice or ignoring it. And so reading stories about other people or listening to podcasts like this can help you get in touch with that. But you also need to complement that learning and that education with the work, with you actually doing the things like tuning into your intuition and following your own guidance. And like I said, the more you do that, the more you will be guided. And that is how you develop the relationship with yourself. So let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If this episode was helpful for you, please consider sharing it. Tap that little share button, send it directly to a friend, or take a screenshot and share it on social media. If you'd like to support the show, there are several amazing ways that you can do so. First, and my favorite, is by joining MindLove Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get all of the extra episodes on Fridays, uh, the backlog of all the exclusive episodes, meditations, and more bonuses. So again, that's mindlove.com slash premium. You can also support one of my sponsors. If you want a list of all of those, go to mindlove.com slash sponsors. 
And finally, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time.